the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Friday, January 28th, 2022. I was listening to a eulogy on Mike Gallagher's show this morning. It was the widow of the slain officer, Jason Rivera, in New York City, a city where five other officers have already been shot this month alone. This had me thinking about a story I'm not sure you're seeing much. Over the last year, law enforcement line of duty deaths in the United States were up approximately 55%. And did you know that in 2021, line of duty deaths for police officers were at a high going back to the all-time high going back to the 1930s? Here in Phoenix, Officer Tyler Moldovan shot eight times last month, was just released from the hospital. God bless and continued thoughts and prayers for recovery to him and his family. As we send continued thoughts and prayers and recovery wishes to the six cops that were shot in the line of duty in the last two days in St. Louis, in Milwaukee, and in Wisconsin. Thinking about this and listening to Jason Rivera's widow, I was thinking, too, about a conversation with some friends last night about the reality of the world or worlds we live in. And how much we just assume the proper functioning of worlds we rely on as an expectation without much thought. But then, too, how much we are divorced from the earthquakes in those worlds until disasters strike. One of those worlds is the world of law enforcement, police. We just go about our lives not thinking much about police unless and until disaster faces us or we touch that line ourselves. But we have little idea about what is going on in the world of law enforcement, or what their daily lives are truly like. Every day is a day of a wife or a husband who must think that this could be the day his or her spouse will not come home. And what for? For us. We who almost never think that way. We spent a year and a half going after law enforcement in this country, and by we, I mean mostly the left and the Democratic Party, encouraging protests, cum riots against them, and then conceding to the protests slash riots demands by taking the rhetoric of the street. We took F the police to the halls of the cities, halls of the states, and the national legislature and the White House, and the phraseology of reimagining policing or defunding the police, all of which is dressed up for the thing I can't say on air, but you can hear on the streets. During that period, chiefs and senior officers all around the country resigned and took early retirements. And because verbiage and actions have consequences, we subsequently also saw violent crime, including homicides, surge. I said subsequently. I should have said consequently. When I think about all that our cops put up with, go through, in the absence of a public campaign against them, I think we should all think a little bit more about all that they go through with and while a public campaign is being waged against them. What was the public reaction, say, a few years ago, when Colin Kaepernick was becoming known for social activism rather than athleticism 
and he wore socks with pigs on them, wearing police hats. Was he condemned? Or rather, was he taken seriously, taken under the corporate wing, given more money and more credibility, and engaged in a preemptive silencing of debate because nobody wanted to take the other side, because nobody wanted to be seen as challenging a popular black man who was making an indictment about racism in America. That would have been the year that 20 armed black people were shot by police. 11% of those who were not black and were unarmed fatally shot by police that year. Nobody asked Mr. Kaepernick about those 20 or their circumstances, and this in a world where over 60 million people had contact with the police in America, with 1.3 million contacts involving the use of force. In other words, where police had to use or threaten force, one one-thousandth of those interactions resulted in an unarmed black person's death. But police were pigs, and the tale teller became heroic. Stages were set, and perhaps starting with the deadly shooting of five police officers in Dallas that year, our erstwhile heroes in blue became the enemy of the left on the streets as well as in professional sports, as well as in the halls of Congress. From woke congressmen to woke mayors, defund and dismantle became the mantra. Not crime, not victims, but defund and dismantle the police. The mayor of San Francisco got plaudits last month and on Bill Maher's show last week for saying, quote, it is time for the reign of criminals to end, and it comes to an end when we are more aggressive with law enforcement and less tolerant of all the bull, you know what, that has destroyed our city, close quote. Less reported is the year prior where she was one of the first mayors to state she would begin defunding the police and announcing a $120 million cut to the police budget in San Francisco. When Kamala Harris was running for vice president and was asked by the New York Times if she believed in defunding the police, her response was, and I quote directly, quote, Well, it's a concept. We do have to reimagine what public safety looks like. And here's the thing. It is status quo thinking to believe that putting more police on the streets creates more safety. That's wrong. It's just wrong, close quote. Got it? It's a concept, defunding the police, and we have to get rid of the thinking that believes more police means more safety. Okay, that's Kamala Harris running for vice president. Maybe today's London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, should meet Kamala Harris and tell her, the rising violence does come to an end when we are more aggressive with law enforcement and less tolerant of all the bull you-know-what that has destroyed our city. Does this dialectic sound a little familiar? Dennis Prager, Heather MacDonald, Scott Atlas, me, folks like us, we had to be censored and condemned not as racists but as science deniers when we said in 2020 what Rochelle Walensky and Michael Osterholm and CNN's medical correspondents and the CDC are saying right now about breakthroughs, about masks, about isolation, about children, about obesity. Sometimes, as I say, the price for being right is appearing to be wrong at the time. By the way, all this happening when protests and riots were taking place in America and Kamala Harris said they should not stop and they will not stop. And she helped publicize a fund to bail out those involved in taking to the streets to protest and riot against the police. All of this I think of as a disorientation or another disorientation in our culture, 
a disordering leading to a disorder. The heroes became the villains, and the villains became the cause celeb of the left in the Democratic Party. Think about the professions for a moment children's naturally gel to or used to when they think about what they wanted to grow up and become. Astronauts, certainly firemen, doctors, also police. Cops and robbers was a typical game, maybe the most common game kids used to play. Who, it needs pointed out, these kids, had no disorientation about who was the hero and who the anti-hero, or as they would more naturally put it, who was the good guy and who was the bad guy. Now, this in itself is interesting that kids knew this when they played that game, because we typically don't, typically don't think of children as having by nature a sense of good and bad when it comes to values and virtues. Instead, we tend to think children need to be taught these things. Aristotle, in his Nicomachean Ethics, puts it this way, quote, It is a matter of real importance whether our early education confirms in us one set of habits or another. It would be nearer the truth to say that it makes a very great difference. Indeed, in fact, it doesn't make some of the difference. It makes all the difference in the world, close quote. Aristotle writes the most interesting of sentences, though, right before he wrote that. He writes, it is because the states of character correspond to the differences in activities. So, in other words, it is the early education of our children in what activities they engage and in what characteristics or habits they engage them with that, which makes all the difference in the world. So I give you a headline from 2015. Nurseries ban playing cops and robbers. No, society didn't become Thunderdome in the past seven years since 2015. But what were the conditions of society seven years ago, whereas that would be the enlightened thing to do, emasculate and infantilize children further, especially in the martial virtues used to teach right and wrong, good and bad? We took that activity away, one uniquely used to make all the difference in the world, teaching children good and bad, right and wrong. I'm not saying this is the end of the West, that kids don't play cops and robbers, but we took a lot from kids over the years, a lot that helps create what I call forces of composition in a society. But right now, the forces of decomposition seem to be stronger and winning. How did William Butler Yeats put it? The ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. The ceremony of innocence is drowned. And so we come back to two thoughts worth remembering just now, but hopefully repeated enough here so that they won't need to be reminded of later at other times, not of our choosing. You build a strong enough culture, after all. You don't get surprises that wreck and rend that disorient society or societies. The first thought from Neil Postman in his Disappearance of Childhood book, raising children with the political and policy imbalances of adults is to expel children from their gardens of Eden. One might say catering ceremony after ceremony where innocence is drowned. The second thought for our men and women in blue from G.K. Chesterton. By dealing with the unsleeping sentinels who guard the outposts of society, it tends to remind us that we live in an armed camp making war with a chaotic world and that the criminals, the children of chaos, are nothing but the traitors within our gates. When the detective in a police novel stands alone and somewhat fatuously fearless amid the knives and fists of a thieves' kitchen, 
It does certainly serve to make us remember that it is the agent of justice who is the original and poetic figure. While the burglars and footpads, those are highwaymen, are merely placid old cosmic conservatives, happy in the immemorial respectability of apes and wolves. The romance of the police force is thus the whole romance of man. It is based on the fact that morality is the most dark and daring of conspiracies. It reminds us that the whole noiseless and unnoticeable police management by which we are ruled and protected is only a successful night errantry. Close quote. All I can say, especially on a day like today, is thank you, Knights Errant. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Happy Friday. We will be right back. Back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios, 602 Thank you, as always, to Guns Etc. for helping endow our beliefs and at least commit to freedom of speech you uh you guys have uh, have been just just a great business partner of ours and a great service to our community uh both uh, apolitical and political so thank you to that <clears throat> and thank you to them for that all right uh I, this is a question that kind of lends itself uh to this hour in a nice way uh if you will uh and and it and, and it has to do with the issue of the United States and foreign policy, defense, and our national interests. And it comes to us in the example of what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. Let me say, first of all, do many people in this audience know that Joe Biden had a big and important call with the president of Ukraine yesterday, Vladimir Zelensky? I ask because... When Donald Trump had a call with Vladimir Zelensky, uh, all heck broke loose, and the demands that the transcript of that call, something that is typically not done, transcripts uh, of phone calls between uh, world powers or world leaders, especially when they are discussing national defense strategies, those transcripts don't usually get produced. They don't usually get published. They're usually considered classified national security um, high intelligence, top secret level intelligence. But the demands were such from the whistleblowers in the Trump administration, the so-called whistleblowers in the Trump administration, that not only were the transcripts requiring uh, being required to be released, required not for any legal reason, but due to the public hue and cry, due to the New York Times demanded to be released, required to be released. Not only did that take place, but also an impeachment over it took place after they were fully released by President Trump. He declassified them and released them, not thinking there was anything there. Boy, was he surprised to find himself impeached over the nothing that was there. I don't know if people even remember what it is that he said that got him impeached for releasing those calls. But if you look at the headlines of the call that took place with Joe Biden and Vladimir Zelensky yesterday, I'll just give you a few. CNN, Ukrainian official tells CNN Biden's call with Ukrainian president did not go well. Um, I'll save you the National Review headline. New York 
Post, Zelensky rebukes Western panic over Russian invasion after Biden call. CBS News, Biden had call with Zelensky Thursday as Russian troops sit at border dispute as to the meaning of the call. Uh, Fox News, CNN reporting on Biden's Zelensky call gets White House pushback. White House says reports are completely false. Newsweek, House Republicans demand release of Biden's Zelensky transcript. Um, the ongoing controversy since yesterday of what it is Joe Biden said to Vladimir Zelensky and what Vladimir Zelensky said back in the midst of a moment when we're being asked whether we are going to defend Ukraine or not. Vladimir Zelensky saying he has one perception of the call, the White House saying they have another. Is there going to be any demand for the release of these transcripts? Anything at like a demand that we heard when Donald Trump, when there wasn't a moment of war, when we weren't on the brink of military action, when there was such a demand for Donald Trump to release his phone calls, his phone call transcript with Vladimir Zelensky. Is there going to be anything like this now? Does anyone want to know why Vladimir Zelensky, would, our ally, would say this call did not go well? And why wouldn't the White House want to disseminate it? Well, I'm kind of a mixed mind on this. I can appreciate not not publicizing a phone call of this sort, lest it tip off the thinking to the Russians. Do you think that's what the White House is concerned about? It might be. There might be elements there that are concerned about it. I have another thought. It's not original to me. I've seen others speculate about it. I will speculate about it as well, having heard lots of audio this week of Joe Biden in casual con- – well, not in casual conversation, Joe Biden in conversation, just not in press conferences or at the podium, especially with the automakers who came to visit him from Detroit, and he sounded discombobulated. I am wondering if we would see that in the transcript. I'm wondering if it was of concern to Vladimir Zelensky, and I'm wondering if anyone in the American press thinks this is a worthy pursuit to investigate or chase down. I'm just wondering, because they put Ukraine on the map when Donald Trump called Vladimir Zelensky. It was on the map by them, put there by them. And now we have a dispute between the two leaders who are the parties to that call. And there doesn't seem to be that much interest in what the dispute was about or what was said. It seems to me that we would want to know and maybe maybe redact, maybe just redact the national security parts, but don't redact everything else because it's the everything else that we're kind of curious about, isn't it? It's the everything else we're kind of curious about. When we come back, I want to raise a question with you. I'll give it to you to think, of, think about right now over the break if you want, which is this. Two sides have basically been decamped on what we should do versus Ukraine and Russia as to whether we should sacrifice American military to save Ukraine or not. Is there not a third way? One. Two, what are the conditions? What are the conditions for those that are saying Ukraine is not in our national or American interest? What are the conditions to deploy and get involved? I'd like to know what your criteria are. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios, 602-508-0960. Peggy Noonan in her Wall Street Journal column today writes, I find myself impatient with confidently expressed declarations that we have no interest in a faraway border dispute, that Russia and Ukraine have a long and complicated history, and in any case, the story of man is a tale of organized brutality, so get a grip. The arguments on the other side, she writes, sound carelessly wrote. Get tough, push back, ship weapons, show Putin who's boss. Sounds like politicians, she writes, saying what they've said for 70 years. And at this point, not out of conviction, but because they have no new moves. Barely a memory of new moves. Well, maybe, maybe Mary Kissel who also writes for the Wall Street Journal. She has a memory of new moves. Um, She writes, actually, in The Spectator, um, when the 45th president met Vladimir Putin in Helsinki in July 2018, many critics panned the display as a too-friendly rapprochement with Russia. What they failed to understand was the bigger picture. President Trump and his national security team had constructed a larger strategic framework to constrain Putin's worst instincts while bolstering American national security. American deterrence laid the foundation. From the very beginning of his administration, President Trump made clear that the use of force was never off the table. Recall the threat of fire and fury against North Korea dictator Kim Jong-un? Or the mother of all bombs that the Trump Pentagon dropped on militants in Afghanistan? Or the remarkably effective maximum pressure campaign on the Islamic Republic of Iran? All were of a piece with a larger strategy of rebuilding a military deterrent, which Barack Obama had dangerously eroded in almost every major theater in his term prior. So there are evidently tools that we have invented or tools that we have deployed that have kept our enemies at bay. There are these tools that make leaders of opposing countries or opposing interests think twice when an American president says something that should constitute a warning about pressure. Those tools were deployed smartly, smartly, and I get why people may have forgot them. They never wanted to appreciate them. This is the other part of distorting your news coverage about someone based merely on ideology over other things. I don't think most of the press had much of an ideology against or an ideological preference against Donald Trump's foreign policy views. I really don't. I think they got taken in to wage the Russian collusion story against him, but I don't think they had any particular concept of Russia's interests with Ukraine or Ukraine's interests over and against Russia or the U.S. affinity for the people or the country or the independence and sovereignty of Ukraine. I really don't. But they did hate Donald Trump for a whole host of other reasons, and thus they didn't cover these things that Mary Kessel is bringing out and reminding everyone, including Peggy Noonan, about. Is Peggy right, though, about too much of those two sides? That's what I was trying to ask. That's what I'm curious as to when you think it is in the American interest 
to use military force against an enemy that doesn't directly confront us. Not directly. Not directly. I heard a talk show host the other day saying those neocons are always rubbing their hands together for war, whether it's Vietnam or whether it's Afghanistan or whether it's Iraq. Be careful of these labels and be careful of lumping these histories together. Vietnam was not a war waged by neoconservatives in any sense at all. Neoconservatism hadn't even waded into foreign policy when the Vietnam War was raging. And when it did, when it did enter into the realm of foreign policy, it did so directly contra perhaps the greatest architect of the Vietnam War, Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger was the bet nor of the neoconservatives, not a member of them. Anyway, it's an interesting question that I thought it might be worth asking, and this is not a bad example. Ukraine is an ally. Russia is an enemy. The idea that we should not use force involving this conflict is, to me, curious. It is, to me, curious. What ally would we use force for? Why and when? I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Andrew Sullivan uh, put something up on Twitter. He says it's interesting to watch the very day an organization puts an end to itself. What is he talking about? I don't know how many of you are familiar with the initials ADL or Anti-Defamation League. Anti-Defamation League is a civil rights organization that was founded in the early part, early, early mid part of the uh, 20th century um, by, uh, by, by, by the Jewish community to fight first anti-Semitism and then other bigotry. Uh, its charter dating back, yeah, okay, early, early mid, its charter dating back to 1913, as I'm looking it up, claims – Its ultimate purpose, the ADL's ultimate purpose, is to secure justice and fair treatment to all citizens alike and to put an end forever to unjust and unfair discrimination against and ridicule of any sect or body of citizens. Our ultimate purpose is to secure justice and fair treatment to all citizens alike and to put an end forever to unjust and unfair discrimination against and ridicule of any sect or body of citizens. Well, today that ended. Today it ended. As they put out a tweet, the new definition of racism at the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League's website. I'll read it to you. It's short. Racism. The marginalization and or oppression of people of color based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people. Got it? That is not the definition of racism. That is pitting one race against another and wiping away entire categories of racism. ADL used to be pretty good at identifying and monitoring the kinds of things Louis Farrakhan said. It can't do that anymore with this definition, can it? Nor can it get 
it's higher up if, heaven forfend, some Arab American or Asian American or someone other than a white American attacks a person of color. That wouldn't be racism, would it? Because you couldn't attribute it to white privilege. This is the end of the ADL. It's also the end of common sense. It also helps put an end, unfortunately, to the toxicity that actually is racism. When you put racism as the fault of one group entirely and collectively based on their race, the very thing the ADL was founded to prevent, the privileges of white people in this case, you have weakened, watered down, vitiated, ameliorated the horrible thing that racism is. That's what happens when you decide to please and satisfy the woke. You end up ruining the conventional, the normal, the lingua franca, and the policies and ideas that we all had worked so hard to come together and agree upon. Really, what the Anti-Defamation League's charter originally said, to secure justice and treatment to all citizens alike, and to put an end forever to unjust and unfair discrimination against and ridicule of any sect or body of citizens. Pretty much what the 1964 Civil Rights Act and legislation was all about. Today, the ADL ruined that and changed it. Racism is now the marginalization and oppression of people of color only if it's based on the hierarchy that privileges white people. Okay. Asian Americans, Arab Americans, and I don't know about Jewish Americans. Have at it. Go be racist. Louis Farrakhan, let her rip. Al Sharpton, go back to your ways of the 1990s. Go ahead. Let it rip. The ADL won't care. Mike is in Maricopa. Hello, Mike. Yes, good afternoon, Seth. You had thrown out a question asking us what we think about getting involved in Ukraine. You know, Brandon Weikert went into pretty good explanation on Monday about uh-huh. why about the history of it. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's not maybe a good idea because we're not perceiving it the way the Russians do. Oftentimes we get involved in this mission creep. Yep. Uh, reminds me of what happened in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Yes. It's all this stuff is happening over in Europe and nobody wanted to get involved yes. and until we stepped in and got involved. Right. Uh, one thing I'd like to say, I want to apologize uh, for not staying on topic. Sometimes you were talking about... I, I, Mike, I don't, don't, don't take our time with anything like that. Go ahead. Make whatever point you want to make. You don't have to okay, apologize. No, I just... No, I understand, but you know, uh, sometimes I get caught up... In, in any event, Mike, really, the, just make your point. It's reporting. easier and quicker. Go ahead. Frustration, you know, like we get the DEA agent gets gunned. All right, I got to run. Thanks, Mike. I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I'm on limited time, and there's no reason to apologize for that stuff. I'm trying to communicate that to you. Rob is in surprise. Rob, how are you, sir? Well, I'm fine. I'll try to be more concise. Uh, Ray, the uh, Ukraine situation and the uh, phone call that didn't go well, um, I, I, I postulate that uh, the President Kerensky probably wanted some weapons and 
uh, I would think that Joe Biden probably responded the same way Obama did with blankets and, and bunks or something. Um, that's that's part of what I'm thinking. Um, the other part is uh, whatever it is he wanted, um, I don't think we're in very good contact with NATO and what they may be involved with. I did hear the NATO Secretary General talk about um, a, a political solution. Um, I'm not sure that the United States has anybody remotely involved in working on a political solution, but that's just me. I'm funny that way. And uh, the, other, the only other thing I have to say, I just uh, finished the book Unbroken by Laura Hillebrand. You probably either saw the movie or read the book. Oh, yes, so yes, 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 of course. Highly recommend the, uh, the book, um, I, and I think it should be mandatory uh, reading in high school. Um, I think it's uh, very... What does it teach to high schoolers that yeah, you were about to say probably, but what, 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 what would it communicate to high schoolers that you, you like? Uh, that war is hell. Yeah. And uh, I think the Asian uh, enemies have a different concept of the sanctity of human life than we do. Um, There's no question. Uh, hey, here's a que- here's an interesting question, though, Rob. Uh, do you yeah. think that that is a book that would further encourage or further discourage enlistment in the military from high school? Um, that's a darn good question. Yeah. I would need mm. some time to think that yeah. through because um, I guess it depends on what what else happens in the world in the next few years, yeah. starting with perhaps Ukraine. But again, going back to the Ukraine thing, I'd rather see our folks protect our own border. And uh, Ukraine and Europe, try to solve your own problems and don't depend on us. And I think that's what Trump was trying to do with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me let we got it. We're hitting up against the break. Let me say something about that and what Trump was trying to do. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. And show maybe not an inconsequential question or point Rob was making uh, when he mentioned that this is a book high schoolers should read. He was talking about Unbroken by Laura Hildebrand. And uh, great question as to what, what it is high schoolers should read. I, I will guarantee you it is a better book than probably what most what most of them are given to read these days, though not all, though not all. There are some schools that do some very serious assignments and curriculum. Uh, but not probably a bad way to teach about the horrors of war, but then also my question, how would it affect him, uh, or in his thoughts, how would this affect military recruiting efforts, which I have to say have not been going great lately? Uh, God bless every high school student that wants to join and defend uh, the, 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 the free world and, and, and join the armed forces of America. God bless you all. Um, it's it's becoming a, a it's becoming a tougher and tougher thing to ask of them. It's becoming tougher and tougher because the percentage of people in that age range, those in their junior and senior years of high school, those in recruitment age range just a little bit lower, are ineligible physically. Physically, more and more of them are ineligible to actually be recruited into the or sign up to join and serve in the military uh, has to do a lot with their health. And a lot of it has to do with, yes, the word we're not supposed to talk about obesity. And yes, some in also drug use. This is one problem. The other problem is the military is finding itself 
having to drop their recruitment goals so that they can still satisfy themselves that they are meeting their recruitment goals. That's a problem. Then there's the problem about what is it that the U.S. military stands for. I remember the recruitment ads growing up. Bill, you probably remember recruitment ads. I even remember seeing them in movie theaters back when we would go to movies. And they were, for the most part, you know, good ads, good ads, and you knew what the military did. You look at the ads they're putting out now, and this is also true of our intelligence agencies and the recruitment videos they're sharing now, which show that the agencies as well as the military are bowing to all kinds of, uh, shall we say, woke social behavior and behavioral expression. And you wonder, is this what the military is really about? It's as almost it's almost as if it's an ad campaign to apologize for what the military used to be about. Well, who wants to sign up for that? An organization whose main business seems to be apologizing. And maybe that's why we have the problems facing Russia and the Ukraine that we have right now. Maybe it's because our allies look around and see how we act, Afghanistan. Maybe it's because our enemies look around and see how we act, Afghanistan. Or maybe it's what the Syrians and Assad knew after Obama threatened them. These guys don't mean it. Maybe we just need a president who means it. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. Salem 